are, this is last week in the series, Twisted, just a fun, lighthearted um, spring sermon series on sin that we've been going through. Um, you guys don't get that. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's 11 o'clock. You're not awake yet. Um, so anyway, no, we've been walking through sin like now for four weeks and talking about sin, which has been so fun. And we have looked at different ways that sin has impacted us. Um, we've, we've talked about how sin has actually twisted the way that we view God's character. It has twisted the way that we think, the way our psychology operates. It's twisted the way that we act and behave uh, towards and with others. We, we've looked at the way that sin has, has shaped and changed how we relate to God and to each other horizontally as human beings. But I think there's another dimension to explore, and that is, has sin changed more than just that? Has sin changed more than just the way that we relate to God and each other? I think it has. I think if we explore, we'll find out that sin has shaped and transformed and twisted the very core of who we are and pieces of our world that we live in. And things that we see in Genesis 3 are still being played out in very specific ways today because of what happens in that early story. So, today we're going to look at the specific consequences that God gives for sin. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 3. If you want to get there in your Bible, uh, digital or analog is fine. Um, we're cool with either, but we think it's important that you have a Bible so that um, you can see that the words that we're reading, they're not, they're not ours. They're not things that we make up. They're, they're yours, and the Bible is living, and your Bible is the same. And so we hope you make notes, jot things down, and you can come back to it later. But um, Genesis 3 is the story where everything goes wrong. Right? That's where everything gets twisted, and we're going to look specifically starting at verse 16 today. This is God talking to Adam and Eve after they have made the decision to eat the fruit. To the woman, God says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all your life, all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's fun. Um, <laughs> There you go. Uh, I, we're, court, we're sort of in the middle of this story, and if I were reading this as a story in a book, and this is where I came in, I would say, how did we get here? Now, if you've been here with the last few weeks, or you're familiar with this story in the Bible, you know physically how we got to this point in the story, right? God creates paradise, creates humanity, says, eat anything you want to, don't eat from that one tree, Satan comes up, convinces them to eat from that tree specifically, and, and then they put on some fig leaves to cover themselves up, and we're here. And so if we all know sort of how we got here, maybe the better question is not how did we get to this point, but, but how did we get these things specifically listed by God? Why are these the things that he has chosen in response to rebellion? And even though we're only three chapters in, to get the answer to that, we have to go back a little bit. 
If you go to Genesis 1, just a, just a page turn in your Bible, there's um, Genesis 1 starting with verse 26. We see the creation of man. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. That's the beginning of our story. God made us in his image. If there's nothing else that you get today... It is that we were created in the image of God. In theological circles, the the Latin word imago Dei, that's what we use to describe it. It's, it's It's a unique classification that humans get. We were made in the image of God. What that means is we are now his representatives on earth. Right? If you read the Hebrew, that's the connotation that that image bearer has, someone who represents, someone who is an ambassador, someone who speaks and acts for someone else. And so we as his image bearers are to act and do and be like him. That's the beginning of our story. And the story starts with being very good. If you read the rest of the creation account, everything is good. God makes everything and says it's good, and then he makes humans, and he says it is very good. Why? Because we were created in his image. We're created differently than everything else. We are above everything else. He he says, you guys are extra special. Everything else is good. You are very good. And so we have to be careful. A lot of us think that our story seems to start in Genesis 3 with all have sinned and fallen short. And that's true, but that's not where our story started. Our story started with very good, created in his image. And so what is it that image bearers do if we are to be like the one who created us? What does God do? First thing we find out about image bearers is that we're relational. Why are we relational? Because God himself is relational. I don't know if you caught some of the pronouns that were used there in that Genesis 1 passage. Come, let us make man in our image. The God that we serve is triune. Right? We, we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, equal in majesty and glory. That's what we believe as Christians, and we see it from the very beginning. When God reveals himself to us, he reveals himself to us as a God who is in perfect union with himself, perfect relationship with himself. And God creates us to model that relationship. And so as image bearers, we are relational people in perfect unity with each other. 
We're also creators like God. God created us, and he then tells us to create, multiply, fill the earth. We are to be people who create more people, image bearers who make more image bearers that reflect the glory of the Father. That is who we were designed to be. We're also created to be rulers like God. Right? He tells us, go, subdue everything, rule the earth, give order, structure to it, work. These are things that we're commanded to do from the very beginning. Those are the things that God himself does. He is relational, he is a creator, he is a ruler, and he tells us as people who bear his image to do the same. And that is what gets twisted in Genesis 3. If you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, those two passages that we've read today, if you read them side by side, you'll see that they're actually very, very similar. They say a lot of the same things. They talk about the same subjects. They almost go in the exact same order. The consequences of sin very much mirror the blessing and purpose that we were originally given. And that might be the most evil dimension of sin that there is. Sin takes a blessing from God, something that God declares to be very good, and twists it into something that creates pain. That's what we see happening here. The very things that God said would be good, the things that made us like him, those are the things that get twisted. The consequences that God lays out would be things that last far beyond Eden. Let's go through them, sort of point by point. Verse 16 starts, he says to Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Okay, husbands, this is not a good verse to use in the labor and delivery room. Um, it is good to have the word of God in your heart. It is good to, to have it on the tip of your tongue, ready to share with anyone around you. Um, this is not a good verse to, to throw out in the middle of delivering a baby. Um, I just, I don't see that going, hey, babe, I know, I know. In a, in a contraction, like, this is, this is bad. But if you read the Bible, it says this is what you can expect. Like, it's just, I mean, it's there, black and white. It's just, sorry, shouldn't have eaten the fruit. Um, that's, 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 not, that's not really what this verse is, is getting at, I don't think. Um, what, what God is showing is the first aspect, one of the first aspects of us bearing his image has been corrupted, right? The most beautiful, God-like thing we can do as humans, creating life and bringing it forward into this world is now also a source of pain. And, and I think if you look at how these are still playing themselves out today, it's not hard if, if you or anyone close to you has walked through the journey of infertility. It's not just hard to have a baby. It's not just painful to have a baby. Even trying to get to that place is painful. Beyond just childbirth, being a parent is painful. It's not just physically, emotionally exhausting, but, but you are walking through really, really hard stuff with people that you love deeply. 
And the same choices of rebellion that, that we have made our children make. And, and as a parent, you are never doing better than your worst child is struggling. And that is a reality that we live in because of Genesis 3. The thing that is supposed to be a giant blessing is now also a source of pain. He continues, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, and in modern English, we read that and it kind of reads like you're just going to be crazy about a guy and you're not going to feel complete unless you have one. But, but that's not how a Hebrew audience would read what's written there. That phrase, your desire will be for your husband, it, it could be better worded, your desire will be to control your husband. Okay, that wasn't supposed to be funny, but great. <laughs> I think that means it sounds familiar. That's, that's what the language says, that your desire will be to control your husband and he will rule over you. If we look in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve are co-rulers. There's no distinction given in the work. Male and female, they're supposed to rule, subdue, oversee the land, work together. In Genesis 3, we find out that that relationship that's supposed to be just like God, right? In, in beautiful, equal interdependence, the way that he is in relationship with himself, that's who we are created to be. And now that relationship that is supposed to make us most like him is also a source of pain because we want to manipulate and control and have authority over each other. We want to establish a hierarchy. Sound familiar? He goes on to say to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. And these passages are not these verses are not just for farmers. Okay, again, we read that and we think, okay, people that work with the ground, this is for farmers or people that have a really nice garden and they're trying to grow produce or flowers in their backyard. This is what this is talking about. No. Mirroring Genesis 1, this is talking about work. God is saying the entire relationship that you are going to have with work has changed now. Right, Work itself is not a bad thing. Work is actually a part of God's creation. There's a modern myth of sorts that we have all bought into that, that my goal in life is to get out of as much work as possible. But that's not necessarily a biblically or psychologically um, accurate thought. Work is good. Work helps us as humans. Work is something we were designed to do. Work is something that is supposed to, to build, to, to create, to be life-giving. Right? Work existed pre-fall. God himself is a worker who also rests and Sabbaths. We are made in his image, so we do the things that he does. He designed us to work. The problem is not that Adam is going to have to start working. The problem is that work is going to completely change. It's going to stop being only a means of creativity, means of ordering, improving, 
improving, structuring, building. That's what work was supposed to be. But now, work is not going to be only joy-filled. Work is not going to be only gratifying. Work is actually going to be hard. Work is going to be frustrating. Work is going to be putting in effort that doesn't match the results that come out of it. That creates frustration. Work is going to move from from just being about building this world and it's going to become something that can actually diminish the dignity and equity of people. Work is something that, that is going to move us from an abundance mindset to a scarcity mindset, right? Before work, we, we see that in Genesis 1, all the trees grow fruit, whatever, grab from it, grab, get whatever you need. You've got food for the rest of your life. After this, your job is now to put seeds in the ground and hope there's enough. We're going to move from work being something that is a part of our flourishing to something that we're going to do for survival, And that is a completely different relationship to have with work than we had before. Again, do we see any of that today? The the last consequence that God reveals is death. He says, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Right? We now face life as twisted image bearers. People still created in the image of God. People who will still multiply. People who will still work. People who will still rule. People who will still be in relationship. But those very things will be twisted. And they will have a great deal of pain and frustration and sadness and brokenness as a part of them. That's the world that we are going to. And at the end of it, we face death before we move on I think it's worth noting that these judgments that God gives these consequences that God reveals I don't think that they are some sort of ironic parenting technique by God where he has tried to to think of every cruel way that he can to punish people Right? Let, let's just keep going, and, and these are now the things that you're going to have to deal with. I don't think that was God's intent. I don't think he was trying to be poetic in matching punishments that fit crimes. I don't think that God is acting in a spiteful or a smiteful way in talking to Adam and Eve about the consequences of sin. Right? I, I think what God is doing is revealing what they have chosen for themselves. If we remember the lie that got Eve to bite, literally. Satan said to Eve, if you eat it, you will be like God. The problem is not that Satan said you will be like God. The problem is that Eve already was like God. She was created in his image. That should not have been new information to her. She did not need anything else to be like God because she was made in his image. And the relationship that they had, there is no way that God did not tell them that. There is no way they did not know that story. That of all creation, you are the most special. You were created like me. I have you doing what I do. 
Nothing else interacts with me the way that you do because you were made in my image. And so what Eve has chosen to do is not just to rebel for the sake of it. She has chosen to distort the image of God in her. And so she doesn't stop being an image bearer, but she does become a twisted image bearer. She and Adam. And this is not God saying, I want to punish you. This is God saying, this is what you have chosen. You have chosen something outside of my plan. Right? Adam and Eve decided to twist what it looked like to be image bearers, and God allowed them to make that choice. Right? This is, this is not a smiteful God, but a God who gave his creation a will and allowed them to exercise it. It's an act of love that God gives consequences here because without those consequences, there would be no justice. Without those consequences, there would have been no will. And so God has allowed choice and will to his creation, and they are now answering for it. Let's leave Eden for a little bit. Let's play this out in our minds. We now have twisted image bearers. What happens when those twisted image bearers multiply? What happens when they make more twisted image bearers? What happens when generations of twisted image bearers multiply? What happens when they do that generation after generation after generation for centuries? And they begin to group and cluster themselves into societies of twisted image bearers. Over thousands of years, we find ourselves in a place where gender roles and relationships are not just inharmonious, but they're adversarial. They're a constant source of fighting and tension, and they have been used to oppress people and hold things over each other's heads for centuries. Right? Relationships in dating, in marriage, they're in shambles. Hookup culture has completely devalued the image of God in each other. Families are being deconstructed at an alarming rate, right? It's more the norm now for a family to experience trauma or or severe disunity than, than health. This is the world that we begin to live in with fractured image bearers. Right? Work is now a place that can rob people of dignity and equity instead of giving those very things to them. Right? Unfair treatment of, of coworkers or employees. Work is now a place that is filled with office politics and gossip and mistrust and, and everybody fitting onto a spreadsheet and not being seen as a human being. Right? Cracked, twisted, broken image bearers cluster together enough for long enough, and they can actually create entire systems of a society that work to oppress people, to act unjustly, to enslave, and to offer no way out. This is what happens in a world full of broken image bearers. Not just do we experience death and loss, we have invented Countless ways 
to make each other experience death and loss at our own hands. This is the world that we live in. Everybody happy now? It's a good thought. Where do we go from here? I don't think there's any question that's the world that we live in. We have taken a broken image of God and, and we have replicated that so many times that it is a virus that exists everywhere. And if we think about it in those terms, that's a pretty bleak picture. Actually, there's more in Genesis 3 that I think we can look, for, look to. See, before God ever talks to Adam and Eve about the consequences of their sin, he talks to somebody else first. He talks to Satan. He talks to the serpent. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is where the story is taking a different direction. And I think it's so interesting that it takes the different direction before Adam and Eve even know the consequences of their sin. Before Adam and Eve even begin to understand the fallout of their choice, God has already orchestrated a plan to redeem them. Maybe you didn't see it when we read it. God makes it clear that that Satan is going to have an adversarial relationship with humanity for the rest of time. But there will be a day that a son of man will come along who will crush his head. Right? This will be a battle that will be waged throughout all of history. But in the end, despite Satan's best efforts, it ends in the victory of God. That is the story of Jesus. Right? God became flesh. He made his dwelling among us in Jesus. He lived the perfect life that Adam and Eve could not. He invited people to a kingdom that operated completely different from present day society. Right? A, a restored kingdom in which justice and mercy and forgiveness are the prevailing values. That's the kingdom that Jesus invites people to. He, Jesus himself experienced the pain and suffering of this world all the way to death, death on a cross. And on the cross, he stands in our place, taking the full brunt of everything that we should have inherited. Three days later, he rises in victory. And he offers new life to you and me as the conquering king. And from here to eternity, he is redeeming all of creation back to himself. He is restoring the image of God the way that it once was, the way that it was intended to be. And he invites his followers to join him on that journey. He invites his followers to pray, your kingdom come here like it is in heaven. That's a beautiful picture because when people find themselves restored to God, things can change. And maybe that sounds really, really idealistic and like too good to be true. 
right? The idea that everything can be different because on the cross, God took our image of twisted humanity so that he could give us back our right corrected image. His image. That, that, that just seems impossible. But that's actually what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 17, it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the story. That's the story. God wants us to be his ambassadors. Remember what we said an image bearer was? An ambassador. Someone who represents someone else. Someone who, who works according to the direction of the one who sent them. It's the story from the beginning all over again. God has rewritten the story in Jesus. And this time, we don't screw it up. And he has said that if we place our trust in him, we actually become a new creation. The broken, twisted, cracked image bearer is made whole. Everything is restored. And everything is going to be restored. And it will be eternally perfect. And we are invited to join him on that journey. And we don't just have to wait for a distant cloud-floating, ethereal, abstract future. He tells us that we can bring that reality here with him. That is the calling of the church, to be the people of God, living out the values of God in this world, redeeming it for God. That is good news. And it is possible because we can have our image remade in the likeness of the Son. That is what Jesus made possible. And and when people who are in Jesus, who are new creations, who are remade in the image of God, the way that we were intended to, everything can change with those people. Everything in Genesis 3 can be reversed with a church, with a kingdom full of those people acting in Jesus' power. Right? Work can completely transform in the kingdom. Work can completely be renewed to a different relationship to humanity. Right? Work can actually be a place where we go every day to make the world better. Work can be a place where we strive every day to give people dignity and equity. We build into the lives of people through the work that we do. That is the mission with which we can approach work every single day. Work is a place where where we creatively solve problems and we seek to meet the needs of humans around us. We seek to restore this world, to be good stewards of of the creation that God gave us and told us to rule. We take our right place back as people who love and create 
the way that God designed us to. Work can be a place that, that respects, elevates, and cares for other people, whether that's our coworkers, whether that's our superiors, or our employees, or our customers, or the people that we interact with. Work can be a place where we build meaningful connections to other human beings that make this world better. Who thinks that sounds better than work right now? <laughs> we don't have to have bad bosses. We don't have to be bad bosses. Surrender to Jesus when we, when we truly understand the image of God that is supposed to be revealed in us and we recognize it in the people around us. Everything begins to change. And it's not just work, it's our relationships. It's the way we interact in our marriages, in our families, when we recognize the good, very good image of God that is present in every human being, the way that we treat each other changes, right? We're no longer fighting for control or for dominance or to manipulate or or to, to coerce people into doing anything. What we're seeking to do every single day is to lift each other up and to make the kingdom more real in the lives of the people that we care about. That is the hope that Jesus offers. It is way beyond just a destination somewhere. It is to transform the world right now. We can relate to other people with respect and admiration and care and dignity when we recognize the image of God that is present in them. That is possible with Jesus. Sorry, squirrel. Um, this goes beyond even our personal relationships. Right? We said when we've got enough broken image bearers working together for long enough that we can create entire systems that are dysfunctional. The church, God's people, with restored image can work together to create systems that promote justice and equality and dignity. Systems that free people from imprisonment. Systems that work contrary to the way of this world. Systems that make for cities and nations and humanity that is flourishing. That is a world I long to be a part of. And I will get to be there one day, but I want to experience as much of it now as I possibly can. It starts with being restored ourselves. It starts being restored to God. It starts by asking to be made into a new creation in Jesus. A new creation that has had the relationship between us and the Father restored so that that can begin to work out into our relationships, into our world. And if you have not made that decision that you want to be made into a new creation through Jesus, I think you should. It just involves saying to Jesus, I want to be made new. I want, to, I want to recover the plan that you had from the very beginning. Because every time we choose a plan outside of that, we find a new way to diminish ourselves and others around us. But in choosing God's plan, 
we find us, others around us, not diminished but restored. And in being restored people, we can identify all the ways that God would like to redeem and restore creation around us and join him in that process. So what are the areas of your life that are twisted? Where in your life has the image been diminished? Where in your life are you not relationally where you're supposed to be? As a worker, as a ruler, as a co-laborer with God, where are you not where you're supposed to be? Where in your family, in your marriage, have you disfigured the image of God? Do you trust Jesus to transform that? I think you should have a conversation with him about that. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are so good. Lord, that you would make us in your image is just beyond my mind sometimes. That you would look at us and say we are very good. That we are loved above everything else. God, that before we even learned all the ways we screwed this thing up, you were already enacting a plan to rescue us. That's the kind of God that you are. So Jesus, may we today be people who trust you more than we trust any lie, more than we trust ourselves. May we be people who trust you. Lord, would you redeem us? Would you restore us? Would you make us new? And then, Lord, would you use us to move beyond ourselves? Lord, would you use us to move into the lives of others, to move into our city, to move into our nation, to move into this world and be people who join you in redeeming everything. Lord, may your kingdom come here as it is in heaven and may it happen through us, your church. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.